controlling the narrative man anyone to shop it to uh but at this time mm -hmm. we have our guest with us uh, sister shelly fane hello sister shelly can you hear us she's running for congress out in florida you know the great state of florida uh, hello, Tessa. can you guys hear us we hear you fine now yes please, please yes please. thank you thank you thank you you have the candidate with you sorry uh, how you doing sister shelly sister shelly fane Hello, how are you doing? How are you doing? Good evening. I'm uh, doing pretty good. Uh, I want to thank you uh, for participating in our democratic process. The only oh. way the democratic process works is if people have the courage to run. And so we want to thank you for that. No uh, problem. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm going to give you the floor, right? Uh, tell us uh, the, the congressional district you're running in, uh, your platform, a little bit about your history. Uh, the floor is yours, my sister. Okay, well, first and foremost, thank you very much for having me on. Yes, I am running for the House of Representatives for District 20 here in South Florida. And um, just a little bit about me. Um, I was born in, in Florida. And um, how I got involved with the party that I'm with right now, which is the Mahali Party, which is a pro-Black independence party, okay. is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, how I got involved is uh, my husband, he met the co-founder of the party, Mr. Uh, J.L. Lazoo, and he asked my husband if he knew anyone that wanted to run in Florida. So my husband asked me, and <laughs> at first I said no. I said no. And the reason being is because I didn't really like the way politics was going. Um, and I didn't see any reason that I would run until I found out more about the party. And when I found that it was a, a pro-Black independence party and their platform and, and agenda, which is to have our own nation within eight years, within the states of uh, Alabama, Louisiana, and Mississippi, I felt a little bit more confident running because I said, okay, there's a party that has the black community in mind and we can take that agenda to DC because as of right now, there really isn't any party that has um, an agenda that is you know, specific to the black community in DC. And I think that's something that we need because as you can see all across the country, black communities are being ignored by the government. So that was one of the things that got me into it. Um, you know, before that I was a working mom and wife and I just said, you know, I'm an individual who is 
tired of, of the things that I'm saying. So instead of, you know, just complaining about them, I'm going to do something and I'm going to get involved. Okay. Okay. Um, so you, you're running in the third party in the November election. Is that correct? Well, actually, this is a special election that's going to be taking place on January 11th because the seat was filled by um, Alcee Hastings, but unfortunately, he passed away uh, back in April, so his seat is open. So that special election will be taking place on January 11th. Now, once that special election takes place, there will be one Democrat, one Republican, um, and, you know, one independent or whatever other party there is that will be running um, to fill the seat in the November election. So in January? So you're talking about next November. So the seat is vacant right now? The seat is vacant, yes. Wow. So you guys are going to go a whole, more than like a year with a vacant congressional seat? That, that's a lot. That's a long time. I mean, that's yeah. a lot. It, it is a long time. <laughs> But um, that's just how the process is going to be because um, in January they'll uh, know who's going to be running in November. Okay, okay, okay. You're right because you know it's a little different that in Florida, right, um, uh, than it is in New York. Like so, so you guys have close primaries like we do here in New York as well, right? Um, yes. The thing, the good thing about um, the good thing about it is in January. I won't have I'll automatically be going to the general election because um, I won't be competing against anyone else. They'll have it'll be the um, Republicans and the Democrats going head to head. Okay. I'll go straight through to the general. OK, 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 OK. I, I, lo I love what you're doing. Um, you know, my mentors here in New York, they had uh, attempted back in the 90s to form a, a black political party here in New York State. It's called the okay. Party. So you know, but white liberals got in and then challenged them all across the state. So it wasn't meant to be. So mm -hmm. um, in Florida, what what is it required to create uh, a third party? Uh, so like here in New York, you got to run a candidate for governor. They get fifty thousand votes, and then you automatically have automatic ballot mm -hmm. access for the next four years to every seat that it's that's open. Right? You can put somebody directly into the general election if you get 50,000 votes in the gubernatorial election for your independent line. How do you form an independent party in Florida? Well, um, the independent party here, in order for me to, to get into it, I believe um, for me to take that seat and run um, with the Mahali party, I believe the number is 60. What is it? Sixty-five thousand. Okay, so it's so, okay. Yeah, it's not. It's not a, a large, a very large amount of votes that would be needed. Um, I know that it, at the, I believe it's around sixty-five thousand votes that would be needed in order to fill that seat. And it doesn't have to be a governor. It doesn't have to be a governor's race. No, mm -mm, no. I'm going for the the House of Representatives for District okay. Twenty. Okay, okay. That's, that's dope. So uh, what was Carl Hasty like, you know, since you lived in that area, um, as far as representation goes? Um, well, what kind of representative was he since you're going to be replacing him? As far as Hastings goes, um, Hastings, I believe he was in that particular seat for 20 years or more. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> I did not grow up um, in the district. My husband did grow up in the district. And from what I heard, um, I've heard some people say good things about him, but I've also heard other people say that uh, over the course of that time, not much has changed in um, various uh, cities within the district. So, you know, there's some people that are satisfied and then there's others that, you know, just said that the Democrats have made a lot of promises to them, but they haven't really seen anything materialize. So, um, you know, I go by I'm what I see. A pattern with them. Yeah, I, I go by what I see. You know, I didn't know him as an individual person, but I go by what I see. And I do see that within the district, there is several areas that uh, still has crime, poverty, drug abuse and things like that and very large numbers so based upon what i see um it just doesn't appear to me that very much has changed within the district and you know people they want something new so just the fact of an independent candidate running and wanting to do something that is particular to their community a lot of people are very excited about that Word. I see that the district is uh, 52% black. So, I mean, <laughs> running the black campaign should work for you as long as you're able to. <laughs> so. Yes, yes, um, yes. It is a, a large number of, of black residents within the um, district. And a lot of them are just looking for change. They're looking for change. And, you know, we, we went out into the community and we spoke to people in the community that some have been here for several years. Uh, we spoke to a guy whose father, you know, built his family and bought his home within this district. And now they're seeing uh, gentrification just running rampant. And a lot of people are, are afraid of what's to come because they feel powerless and they, they really are looking for representation that will prevent a lot of these things from happening. And that is what I'm looking to do. I don't think that our people should be pushed out of the communities they grew up in, the communities they built a life in. And, you know, just at the blink of an eye, people can come in and destroy what has been built. You know, the guy said, my father built this and now they're trying to take it away from us. So those are the types of things that we're hearing. And again, those are the types of things that we are looking to prevent from happening. Um, you know, and it, it's going to take work. But I feel like with the way DC is structured right now, um, we, we got to get some Mahali Party mem members in there because there's a very small margin within the number of votes that's needed um, to get uh, laws passed. And we want to use that as leverage. So um, like, like I said, a lot of work and we're really looking forward to, to making some changes. Um. Uh, I don't want to dominate it. I want to let Rob uh, ask you a few questions. Uh, one thing uh, that might be interesting, uh, I actually have a lot of family. I, I should say a lot. I have close family in Sunrise. I actually attended Plantation High School. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a small world. I'm a Queens kid at heart, Queens, New York. <laughs> I do have connections down there. I got uh, some of my, my, my aunts and uncles and my close cousins. I live down there. Um, so you said you didn't grow up in the district. Where did you grow up? Uh, I'm from Miami, Florida, actually. Oh, but, right. you know, when, when it comes to our communities, it's usually the same thing across the board. You know, within certain areas, it's the same story of communities just feeling deprived. So, um, you know, I can relate. 
because I've seen the same things growing up where, you know, where I grew up, same things, lack of resources in the community and people just looking for a change, looking for something different. And that's what we're looking to bring. Don't, don't, don't. Rob? Hey, how's it going? Uh, congrats on your run. Thank you. Now, yeah, it's necessary that we have some kind of diversity within the halls of power. It can't be left to just, you know, red team versus blue team anymore. They're the same team. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, as far as uh, gentrification, that that is a universal. Have you found that you've been able to grow your parties um, since you are mostly in a black district. Have you found mm -hmm. any buy-in from uh, other people within the district, businesses, things like that, or are they sticking with the same old team A or team B? And if so, what's been it, the pushback on that? So as far as it goes, you're absolutely correct. Our people have largely been voting for Democrats for a very long time. So it has been somewhat of a challenge to kind of break that. But surprisingly enough, uh, when I've run into people who have found out that I am an independent, it's kind of like a breath of fresh air to them. They're like, okay, so you're not a Republican or a Democrat. And I'm like, no, um, I am an independent. I do feel like that's what we need in DC. We need uh, more people that are not really beholden to the Democrat Republican way of thinking. And, uh, you know, we've had some really good responses to that. Now we have had some individuals that have asked us, you know, well, they, I had people say to me, well, I'm a Democrat. And I say, okay, well, that's fine, but the policies are going to benefit your community. And then that, you know, that's how it's a little bit easier to sway them because when I explain the policies to them and how it's going to benefit our district, then they're more open to it. Um, I've actually had a young woman today that signed a petition for me after I told her that she, she was the one that told me that she was a Democrat and I'm like, the, the policies across the board are going to benefit your district. And she's like, okay. So, you know, it, it can go one way or the other, but surprisingly enough, it's been a pretty good response when people find out that we're independent. All right. Great. Looks like Rob is still having problems. All right, so <laughs> what, what does Mahali mean? Okay, so Mahali means the land. Um, just the short, the short answer. It means the land. Um, so the Mahali party, what it is, is that our ancestors have always, you know, dreamed of a promised land right here in the States. And those three places were to be in Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. So it basically means the land, uh, the promised land. What connection does the Mahali party have to the, uh, Republic of New Africa? The new Republic of Africa? Yeah. As far as I know, I don't believe that there is a, a connection between the new Republic of Africa. Okay. Uh, yeah, because the, the, the agenda was similar, right? They wanted to. It was, yes, yes. <laughs> all, right, all right, all right. And you know what's funny? Yeah. Um, I heard of the new Republic of Africa first. But then after a while, I, w I didn't hear about it anymore. I, I remember Jay Morrison was heavily involved with that. Well, the well, 
Day Morrison. He's new, but the Republican Republican New Africa goes back to the to the to the Black Panther Party and that that period of the sixties. Um, Jay Morrison. You talk about Jay Morrison with Tulsa. Uh, yes. yeah, well, mm-hmm. yeah, that's new, right? He's new. I'm talking about the original folks um, uh, who came out of the Black Panther Party and okay. things like that back in the '70s when they 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 had that. Anyhow, um, all right. So, you're one of the things I always ask candidates whenever I sit down with them, and I sit down with a lot. I ask them to define racism. Right? How do you define racism? You run into represent a black community. Uh, when you think of racism, uh, what comes to mind? How do you, how would you explain? Uh, I think that racism has two forms. It's systematic and then, you know, the more prejudice element of it, of the individual. But I honestly see racism as a, a race um, for resources. Um, and that's on the systematic level. That's the way I view racism. Uh, you know, it's designed pretty much as a system. And it's definitely tied to white supremacy. And within this country, we've seen that racism pretty much is just a a scramble for resources and having an individual group of people over another another group of people. So that's the way I see racism. As far as the aspect of it where, you know, people call you names or they don't like you because you're race, I'm not really concerned about that part of it. Um, I I just see it as a systematic thing uh, for the most part where, you know, there is a a scramble for resources and that particular group of individuals is looking to keep a stronghold on the resources of the of the nation. And that's the way I see it. Thank you for putting it in those terms. Francis, no problem. always say name calling is part of the game, right? If you ain't calling names, then you ain't playing. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, part of the problem is, I think, in my opinion, that's where we've seen our victors over the last, like, 20, 30 years. That's the only place we've seen the victories has been in the political correct area. You know, oh, they won't call you names anymore. Mm-hmm. Yay. <laughs> but you're still an economic outsider, and we're still going to come and pillage your entire neighborhood. So you can't have an economic foundation. But no more mean tweets. Eh? Eh? <laughs> Progress. You know? Yeah. So thank you for putting it in that way. I think a lot of people really don't understand that, you know, where the actual fight is and where the fight has been historically. You know, King was marching for jobs, not mm-hmm. for, you know, to be nice to me. That was all secondary. You know, you're going to be nice to me because you're going to want to come and buy this product. So eventually you're going to come around. But until that point, leave me alone until I can make my society. So thank you. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I agree 100 percent. All right. And so um, uh, since you're, you're running, yeah, you're running on the Black Party. And I, I thank you for that. I didn't know that when you when uh, when uh, Sister Cindy said uh, we're going to be interviewing today. Uh, oh. now, <laughs> now I'm excited. <laughs> so, What is your vision of a, a Black utopia? What does a Black utopia look like to you? To me, a Black utopia just is us being able to be a self-determined people. Um, You know, not having people hanging over our shoulders, controlling us, us being able to govern ourselves and live among each other in a a society where we are, um, again, self-determined, we are productive, 
we are able to uh, structure an environment in which, you know, we are just in charge of every aspect of our lives. And we don't have to worry about individuals trying to oppress us. Um, we don't have to worry about individuals trying to harm and kill us. That's what a black utopia looks like to me. You know, what Mahali stands for, our own nations and being able to be in control of our destiny. Dope, 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 dope. Um, how do you feel about Val Demings? Uh, I believe she's uh, launching a campaign to run for U.S. Senate down there in Florida. She's challenging Mark Rubio. Oh. Um, is Val a Democrat? Val's a Democrat, yes. Uh, former, I think she's a former police chief. I think she's mm-hmm. from Tampa Bay or Orlando. I, I, I don't know Florida like that. But I think she's from uh, Central or Northern Florida. Uh, but Val Demings, uh, you, I'm, um, I'm, I think you, have you, are you familiar with Val Demings? I should make assumptions. Um, I'm, I'm not extremely familiar with her, but her name does ring a bell. But I, the reason why I asked if she was a Democrat is because, um, I'm heavily vested in the black community and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to completely dump on the Democrats, but I get weary. I get weary of the Democrats and the Republicans. But the thing about the Republicans is that they don't really pretend to be the black community's friend. Yeah. Um, they kind of mm-hmm. just, they either ignore us <laughs> or they just, you know, they don't really mm-hmm. focus on the black community like that. They don't, they don't see us as their base. So when it comes to Democrats, I do get a little bit wary because for so many decades now, the Democratic Party, the Democrat Party has had, it, had an advantage with black people where we kind of just throw blind mm-hmm. support behind them. And, you know, we don't really it's a captive audience. Yeah, <laughs> we don't really question their policies and how it's going to benefit our community. So they had a pretty smooth ride with black society, unfortunately. Um, so I, I just get weary when Democrats are running because I don't like the way uh, Democrats do the black community. So I, I just don't Joe Biden um, feel comfortable enough to say you're not black if you don't vote for it. So <laughs> oh, absolutely. Things if like that's that. That's the hangout that they're allowing on national television. Imagine what they think of us behind closed doors. Right. The, I mean, the reason they say things like that is because they feel like we're a sure bet. Um, you know, yeah. that machine has been working on our communities for years. And to the point where but now we're... Yeah, they don't even really put in that much effort now. It's kind of like they no. already know they're going to get a very, uh, you know, hefty percentage of the black vote. And they take advantage well, every, of that. Well, every election cycle, you're going to hear each one of these frauds come out their face, and all of a sudden they remember that there's such thing as gerrymandering, and you know voter registration. All of a sudden, it's you know, oh my God, you know the right to vote. But <laughs> throughout yes. your in- entire you know, administration, you've never actually—they will never actually look at what's going on within those uh, voter districts and why they've remained static for so long. You know. It's- you have, you have gentrification. You have uh, that kind of stratification and that kind of gerrymandering because both sides are complicit in this. You know, every time these things are voted on, this comes speaking from inside. Of speaking of gerrymandering, uh, since we just had the the, uh, the we just had the census, uh, what mm-hmm. are the changes in Florida? Because here in New York, we're losing two congressional seats. Uh, okay. What are the changes in Florida? Uh, with regards to redistricting in, in two years. You know? Are you familiar? 
Um, I this is what I will say about that. Um, I don't see very much changes with redistricting here in Florida. Like uh, my district hasn't changed very much. We're still largely a uh, black or I guess you could say African-American district. So I haven't seen very many changes here um, within my district in the state. Now the whole of Florida, um, I'm not completely sure what those numbers are looking like at the moment, but I know within my district, everything is pretty much remained the same. <laughs> I know you all like the Democrats, but uh, this is an interesting one because this weekend, right, the third, I think of August, have you been keeping up with the congressional race in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, between uh, Sister, I think, uh, Sister Brown and Sister Nina Turner? Have you been following that race at all? No, I have not. Okay. Because right, it's, uh, it's, um, it's a battle within the Democratic Party of uh, the, the extreme left, I guess you would call it, and mm -hmm. the centrist. And uh, even uh, congressmen like uh, Brother Clyburn from South Carolina, he's even flying up there to lend his support because, you know, AOC from here in New York is flying out there to work with Nina, Nina Turner. And um, I, I know Democrats are typically, you know, they haven't uh, done good yeah. folks. But Nina Turner. Clyburn's uh, going to do his same sabotage maneuver. That's what he did. <laughs> but Nina Turner, Nina Turner has been a, a really consistent voice, right? I remember mm -hmm. asking her to vote for because after after uh, Bernie Sanders was gone, she said, "Ask me to vote for Biden's like ask me to get played shit." I mean, so she was very candid uh, about uh, she's not wavering. And so um, mm -hmm. it's a it's a race I've been Let's looking be at. Real, she should have been the candidate instead of Bernie both years. She was well, his front man for both runs. <laughs> and end of the day, she's the one with the real fire. She would not have been on stage calling him my good friend. <laughs> yes, Nina Turner is full of fire. I, I will say that. And here's the thing. Um, Democrats that are willing to, to fight for change, I have absolutely no problem with working with them. For me, this is a, just about the betterment of, of the people of this country. Uh, so mm -hmm. whoever is willing to champion that cause, no matter the political background, I am willing to work with them. I just don't want for them to get there. And because of the pressure of their party, they begin to backpedal because I think that mm -hmm. that is going to be counterproductive as far as it goes about, um, you know, bringing any ch real change to our communities and just overall to the country. So that is one of the things that I'm a little bit skeptical, skeptical about with the Democratic Party is because since it is such a, a large machine, you know, I've heard people say that people had a, a, an agenda that was a really good agenda. And then when they got there, because of pressures from the party, you know, they, they start to kind of backtrack on some of the things that they wanted to do. And that's one of the things that I'm just a little bit weary of. I don't think people in the United States actually understand politics. And that's by design as well. To, mm -hmm. to, to go into this and think you're going to be part of, quote unquote, the Democratic Party and have your own agenda is to not understand what the Democratic Party actually is. And that's right. A, we're not going to really get grassroots change until people are either awakened to this fact or are just tired of getting kicked in the stomach because they run on the fact that you're electing the democratic party but the democratic party itself is 
an empty vessel. It's literally meaningless. If you say to someone, I'm a Democrat, well, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> That's not telling me where you're from. That doesn't tell me what you believe. That doesn't tell me anything about you other than you're not the red team. Right. So we need to really start looking at policy and electing candidates with an mm -hmm. agenda because the two parties are essentially the same thing. They're the thumb and the pinky on the same hand. You're, you're not going to get any real change. You know, so and people gotta, expecting any type of change can't can't go there. Right. So before you decided to run, what what groups did you uh, work with? Uh, what groups do you come out of uh, before you started to run for Congress? So let let me say this because I had a comment earlier, um, and someone asked me something similar to that. I am not a politician. I'm not. Um, so I, I wasn't really involved with any groups or anything like that. I just, um, you know, when the Mahali party came to me with their concept, I said, wow, this is something that I was looking to do. And it wasn't going to be on a political level. I was actually looking to start, um, political unions and different organizations within the community. But since this party was already in place and I jailed very well with their concepts, I said, okay, um, I'll go ahead and join them because you know they're already established and our concepts are basically the same. So prior to this, I was in the process of putting together some organizations for our community that would be heavily involving building the next generation of black professionals within our community because I did have a very big interest in the youth because the youth, they are just feeling, um, you know, they're feeling the, the burn of their communities, not having the resources that are needed for them to, to prosper. So that was one of my main focuses was focusing on the children and building that organization to get them ready to be competitive in the world. Um, I do feel like as a someone with a political power, I'll be able to do that plus more. So, um, you know, that's the direction I was headed in prior to this. And it was just uh, an amazing thing that I was able to become aware of who the Mahali party was. So, uh, so what mechanisms are you using to organize, to get the vote out, to create the zeitgeist around your campaign? We are on a pretty much 100% grassroots level. I am out every day. I am meeting people. I am knocking on doors. Um, the Mahali party, every Wednesday night, they have a open Zoom for me where anyone in the community can come in and meet me. We can discuss what my policies and everything like that are for when I do get there to DC. Um, so a lot of our stuff is us out there pounding the pavement and meeting the people and bringing them in to um, let them know what our party is about. Who's the founder of the Mahali Party? The founder of the Mahali Party, I don't want to mess up his name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to. I believe his first name is Kwame, and I, um, I don't want to mess up his last name. Um, I have never met Kwame face-to-face, uh, -face, but I have been uh, in contact with the co-founder of the party, who is J.L. Lazoo. And I wish that he was here with us tonight because he could have given you guys a lot of information about the party. Um, I actually just started this a month ago. 
is when I, I found out about the party. So things have been going really fast, really fast, real quick. As they can say, things got real, real quick. And um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, I, I wish JL was here, but we do, uh, they have their own uh, rallies on Mondays and Tuesdays. And then Wednesday night is designated for me. So if anyone would like to join, please do, please join us because you'll get a, you'll get a lot of information about the party and you'll, I'll be able to go into a lot of detail about my platform and where I stand as well. I believe we have a caller. We have a caller. Caller, state your name. Where you calling from? Caller, state your name. Where you calling from? Peace, brother. Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you just fine, brother. Yes. Wonderful. Uh, my, my name is Joel, and I would like to participate in this conversation. Uh, wonderful to meet you all. Thanks, Hello. Thanks. Welcome, Joel. Uh, wonderful to meet you as well, uh, Shelly. Congratulations on your run. Where you Thank you. Where are you calling from? Uh, I'm calling from Las Vegas. No, oh, okay, LV. All right. <laughs> stand up. Stand up. What's up? Mm -hmm. right, do you have a question? For right, uh, you, well, you were uh, elaborating a little bit on the conversation of gentrification. Mm-hmm. And how we are, I would believe in this case, maybe lacking and actually trying to obtain land that we're actually being pushed out of. And I think from just the fact of years of being in slavery and not really getting the course of unity, uh, we are kind of like so far behind in trying to unite into maybe uh, uh, uniting to maybe buy land of such that we're talking about now instead of being pushed out, but we're so used to individual uh, recognition, you know, it's hard to get, you know, um, two or three people together unless they're actually married to go in on something uh, as important as we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry, go ahead. I think that we're going to have to get comfortable with the idea of being willing to understand that currently we don't really own anything within this nation. And that's why nation building is so important. Uh, we're mm -hmm. going to have to be willing to move if, if necessary. The, um, JL was in a meeting the other day and someone posed the question, why did they choose Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana? And he said that those states were largely populated with black people. And what we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to be willing to uh, live together, even if that means moving from where we currently are, because what happens when we do that is we gain a majority in these states, and then we can begin to Hello? make moves in those states. So we're gonna need to have black governors in these places and a full, uh, you know, pretty much full black government. And that's why I think the political process is a good process to use in order to do this. Because once we have that power, then there is, uh, you know, a lot of things that we can do to begin to make changes, but we're gonna have to be willing to make some sort of sacrifices in order for that to happen. I was listening to, uh, brother. thank you brother, brother for that. I was listening to uh, Charles Blow. I'm not sure if you're familiar. He's a journalist. Uh, he has a book out called uh, The Devil You Know. And he's actually advocating. So he's a journalist. And mm -hmm. uh, remember, so you might remember the Chicago Defender was one of the leading um, advocates for blacks for the Great Migration, right? It was a Chicago newspaper was advocating that blacks uh, go to the north 
the factory jobs and to get away from Jim Crow. And he felt as a journalist that he should, it was within his right or carry on the tradition to get mm -hmm. folks to move back down to South. Cause you're right. Uh, we are the majority in a lot of those towns and a lot of those states like Louise, we could be, we were, and we could be again in Louisiana, Alabama and Mississippi. But he differentiated his argument by saying that uh, he wasn't a nationalist. Like he wasn't saying like, let's separate. He just mm -hmm. thought that we had political control of those states. And with the idea of states' rights, we'd be able to have more political power in DC. So, I mean, it's a little different than the New Africa. And I'm not sure if Mahali, so is Mahali advocating for actual separation or just control of those states? Um, Mahali is advocating for, um being able to cordon off those states as their own nation. So yes, okay. ultimately okay. it would be separating. That's right, that's right. Okay, I dig it, I dig it. Because right. you know, there's, what's fascinating about black life and you know, it's that there's a whole bunch of degrees, right? There's a whole bunch of gazillion ideas and I love listening to them all. Right? <laughs> yes. So to people, I don't get it. You know, I don't really necessarily have to agree with all right. that, but it's important that we have the discussion. Mm -hmm. um, made me feel like you're back in the 70s. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, do you have another question, brother? I'm not sure if he's still there. He, he signed off. No, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm just listening. Okay, okay. Um, Rob, you still there? Oh, yes. I am definitely still uh, here. <laughs> just make sure. Hey, well, this, 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 yard, this uh, stream yard is new to us, if you can't tell. So we still work it out the kinks. Um, so other question I have for you. Okay. Um, if you go to hello uh, there we go. if you when, you when you when you get elected i said if when you get elected and you're down in dc uh you know there's what, 162 congress people 163 i believe right am I, am I, no uh between democrats and republicans yeah there's a model uh, i believe there's oh, no i believe there's more than that Yes, four, is it 400? Yeah, it's in the 400k. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I, I should know this by hand. But now, how do you organize? So who would you align yourself with in Congress to get things done? Because, you know, you, you need consensus, right? So, Absolutely. So who would you organize? Have you identified folks in Congress that you could work with or would work with? Well, the way we're looking to build our leverage is... Um, since Washington is in, in the position that it is right now, with the amount of votes needed to get things passed being so small, we're talking about as little as six to seven votes. We're going to be looking to fill those seats so we can get those votes to be that determining factor. And we are willing to work with people who are willing to work with us, meaning um, they need to get something passed. We feel like we can get behind it. Okay, you can get our votes, but what are we going to get in return for those votes? So it's going to be a lot of negotiating um, negotiations going on and them understanding that with us having that power and them needing those votes, then it's going to be give and take. They're going to have to be willing to give us something in order for them to get something. So we're just looking for um, those types of, of individuals that are willing to work with us and we'll work with them. So that's pretty much what, what our strategy is right now. Well, that is politics. You know, Adam Payne Powell used to say, he ain't signing nothing unless Harlem getting something. I ain't exactly. signing nothing <laughs> <laughs> So 
in yep. our other tradition. Uh, brothers, you got any questions for the good sister? I don't want to dominate. Brother Rob, you got a question for the sister? Well, as far as uh, what, what would you say is your strongest policy is right now? What would your day one priority? I think my day one priority, um, as far as for my district, I'm speaking of my district right. specifically right now. My day one policy is for me to get in there and find out why certain um, why certain areas of the district has not been getting the resources that is due to them. You know, I've been hearing talks of uh, things that were supposed to go up in the most uh, distressed districts within the, the most distressed communities within the, the district. And what I've been hearing is that the money simply has been put in other places and it's not going where it belongs. And that's why we see that a lot of these communities are still in the same conditions that they've been in for decades now because we've had politicians in place that are willing to go along to get along. And, you know, their main focus is building themselves up and not really serving their district. So that's the one thing that I'm looking to do for day one is getting in those books, seeing where the resources are and distributing them to the most hard hit areas of the district that have largely been neglected for so long. And you have to imagine with that neglect that um, we don't really have the, uh, no one's actually being taught that information or given that information or implored that information for us to actually do something about it. Uh, if, if basically you'll walk around and like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Cause that's what they're basically doing to it. Mm -hmm. They're not giving us any information. It's not being passed out properly. We're not even asking the questions that, that should be, Asked. And even with the people that know this information is not being uh, presented in, in its correct form. So you, you, you got to understand that what you're saying is somewhat true, but still in all, there is a big hill to actually climb from ground level. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. And, um, you know, that's a challenge that I'm looking to take on because a lot of people are saying, well, where are you going to get the funding to do this and that? And I'm like, well, the funding is there already. You know, a lot of that funding is already there. It's just that people have been complacent with it not being given to certain certain areas of the district. And unfortunately, the people in the district don't know. They don't know because they don't have anyone that's speaking up for them and saying, you know, this money should have went here but you put it in, in an area that's a couple of miles outside of the district and what would be considered as the more desirable neighborhoods. So those types of things are going on and bringing awareness to that is one of my main goals. People have to be aware of what is going on for them to even want to change it in the first place. What would you say is the most neglected part of your district? Well, right now, um, I definitely would say one of the communities down in Fort Lauderdale is one of the most neglected parts. There's a lot of crime, drug use here, a lot of mental illness issues. Um, the landscape of the community is not in good shape. And then we have another um, city in the district, Belle Glade, which is about 
two hours north of Fort Lauderdale and they have almost a 50% crime rate. And that is a relatively small area. Jesus. Yes. You said the, two hours north of Fort Lauderdale and that's yes. all the same district? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's huge. I mean, but you got you to gotta, you gotta put, put this in realization as well as she's speaking. Jerry Manders. You got to do In New York, we're like really densely populated, right? So two hours, I'm going through three or four different congressional districts in two oh, hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> two hours. Easily. Yeah, they're about, they're about two hours north of where I am, That's which is in Fort Lauderdale. And yeah, they're, they're still part of the district. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, the thing is, is that people, mm. they don't really understand how poverty is so tied in with crime, you know, they, they feel like these people are inherently bad people. No. They're in distressed situations. Right, this is good, good folks. Yeah. Yes, so that crime rate in that area is very high, but it's also one of the poorest district um, areas in the district as well. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. My point exactly. There's no jobs in the area. Mm -hmm. uh, what jobs are being created for that little district? They have to travel to hours outside of their land to get maybe a decent uh, wage to benefit themselves when mm -hmm. you have no structure or no income or nothing in that uh, city as far as development you're going to have that high crime rate that is by uh, strategic design mm -hmm. yeah that's those are the types of things that i'm sorry Question, how many prisons if any are there mm -hmm. I have a question. Considering we're talking about the lack of employment and it's how it spreads and the mm -hmm. domino effect of it, what's the how's the prison situation down there? How many uh, jails, prisons versus schools and whatnot? What are they actually investing in? Since they're, you have a lower population density, a much bigger land space, so what are they doing? What, what, what's the, what are they doing down there? I remember the the schools down there was beautiful. I mean, <laughs> like, God, they're beautiful <laughs> when I was there. I'm not sure if it's still the same. Well, um, the problem is is that this district there is uh, certain areas of this of the district that are doing relatively well. There is, however, um, you know, there's other areas and other schools within the district where the resources are just not getting there. And that's the part that's concerning to me is that, um, you know, there's so much emphasis put on the West end of this district. Mm -hmm. And then you go over to the East side and it's like night and day. And, you know, I just don't feel that because someone is in a certain income bracket that they, you know, they're any better than anyone else in the district and they need to have all the attention and resources. There's enough money within the budget that they can, they need to be focusing on the parts of the district that are lacking. And we're not seeing anyone do that. And that's very concerning for me because I can drive, I want to say maybe about 25 minutes South of where I am and go out further West and you will see some very nice schools, some very nice homes, but that is not largely uh, how the district is. So I feel like a lot of emphasis is being put on, you know, one side of the district in particular, while at the same time you have other areas of the district where people are tremendously suffering. 
And we're just wondering, you know, how can you have this side over here doing okay, doing pretty good, and then you go into almost every other area of the district and it's a completely different thing. So that those are the types of things that are really concerning to me. And those are the things that I'm looking to, to fix. Um, Brother Joel, I just realized you, uh, <laughs> you want to part of the family. Uh, go ahead and plug your show, my brother. Joel, plug your show. Okay, well, thank you. I wasn't gonna do. I ain't gonna do that. But I just wanted to highlight this because it's new, it's fresh, it's in, I love it. It's very hot topic. Definitely need to be discussed. Uh, but yeah, I'm part of the family. Uh, Joel Saji on the Wake Up Radio. If you are listening to now, my show is called Make Me Free, and we deal with uh, topics just somewhat as similar to this and more so. Uh, but still, um, I, I want to go back to Shelly on this. Uh, Shelly. You presented, I believe, uh, during this conversation, uh, maybe separation in those three states. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think we can move forward on that? Well, um, we can actually put in place to actually maybe present something like that so people can maybe think of that as a, a real option as opposed to an idea. So what the party is looking to do is they're looking to take control of the government in those areas so that um, they can ultimately succeed from the the U.S. And the way they're going to do it is by gaining political power within those three states. Um, The good thing about those three states is they are largely populated with black or African-American, whatever, whatever label you choose. There's a very high population there. So they're looking to to be able to get in position to do that through the political process first. And then once they gain power there and they have the leverage to go ahead and actually succeed from those states, that is the next step that they're looking to take. All right. Secession um, doesn't have a pretty good track record in the U.S. How do you do you see that as a limiting factor on your party's appeal or do you just take it in stride? as a long-term goal? Um, I don't, I do not think that um, once we get into those positions, it will be that difficult. Yes, we know that it is going to be a challenge, but the good thing about it is um, there was a poll taken and, you know, there's already 7 million people that want this. So I think just continuing to build momentum behind it and getting the numbers up, I think once they see how effective we can be within our own districts and doing things within the community, then that's going to gain us a lot of traction when it comes to the idea of us becoming um, an independent nation. So we're about the, about at our time. Uh, so I'm going to let the uh, brothers give the closing statements. I'm actually, uh, uh, brother Joel, you can go ahead. You want to give a closing statement before we wrap? Rock out? Uh, no, no, you go ahead, buddy. I'll let you do the honest man. I love you so. Just thank you for. I'd like to uh, thank our caller, brother Rob. You got a closing statement. Brother I'd like Rob? to thank our caller for coming in and joining us today. I'd like to also thank our candidate and our guest for joining us. And is a great example of somebody out there doing it. You know, she saw her community in need and she stepped up. We should all be so lucky. Thank you. And Sister Shelly, you got any closing statements for the beautiful folks out there? 
Yes, first and foremost, thank you um, for listening to me. <laughs> and um, I would encourage everyone to please visit Elect Shelly. That's S-H-E-L-L-E-Y. Um, it's the long version. ElectShelly.com right now. We are still looking for volunteers, donations. We are going up against two very big machines, which is the Democrats and the Republicans. So we are going to need a lot of support. So um, donations start out at $5. If you have $5 or more to spare, please go ahead and check out the website, electshelly.com. Also, mahaliparty.org, so that you can get more information on the party and its plans. Um, so I want to thank all the brothers and sisters for checking in today. I want to thank Sister Cindy Ashby uh, for putting this all together, the hardest working woman in showbiz. Don't forget to check us out on otw2.com. Uh, again, thank you, Brother Joel. Thank you, my brother Rob. I'm going to close this out with a quote from Kwame Torre. Um, there is a higher law than the law of government, and that is the law of conscience. Until next time, brothers and sisters. Peace. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on. Great. Appreciate you, sister. Good All night. Look it up. Lord, individual. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Dian. On the wake up. So here it is, y'all. Are you tired of being censored? Shadow banned? Shit, are you just tired of creating content and making these platforms famous? Well, I'm asking you to support OTW2. It's the black YouTube. Why, you may say? Because our content is important and necessary. And because anytime we tell the truth, they shut us down on their platform. So we are behind enemy lines, so we cannot complain. We just got to move accordingly, smarter. So since we know many of our people won't just jump ship and go to a black site, what I'm telling you to do is don't post everything that is great on their platform. Give them perfect people a 10-second snippet, a 15-second snippet, and make them come to OTWTube and come check you out. Support black things or stop complaining. There's only unity, black unity, and black economics can change our situation. Wake up, y'all. OTWTube is where it's at.